Hi and welcome everyone to the 121st episode of Serum Rocks. Today we have Scott Sewell from Microsoft with us to talk about Power BI and Dataverse. But first, hello Heidi, the one second everyday Newhouser. How are you today? <laughs> I'm good, thanks. How are you, Marcus? How are your holidays? Yeah, it's been lovely. I bought myself some Lego, a really big set of Lego, but I've enjoyed uh, building it and I think I'm about halfway, so I'm really good. How about this one second thing that you're posting on Facebook? What's that? Oh, I've been doing this for a few years. It's kind of fun. I take a video of every single day. There's a free app for Android, one second every day. And then it mashes it all together. And my kids and I have a blast looking back at them year over year. Something so simple, just take one second of a day and then mash it together. It's fun. Yeah. So, Heidi, what's your connection? Oh, let's talk about December in Power Automate because I don't know if Microsoft had some impressive end of the year number that they wanted to hit with connectors, but we saw 31 new certified Power Automate connectors that came out in one month, which is huge. And like half of that was on December 22nd. Um, but these connectors are really cool. They offer solutions for pretty much anything you can think of. There were SMS, document signing, um, some HIPAA connectors, fraud prevention, something about exchange rates, Google Photos. And then there were really focused ones for like SAP and Teams and other software solutions. So lots of new stuff. And I am behind in kind of diving in and understanding what they all are. But I was excited to see how many showed up at the end of the month. Yeah, nice. So you probably already heard Scott, but let me formally introduce him. January 2023 marks the 20 years since Scott first started implementing the first part of Power Platform, Microsoft CRM 1.0. First as a <laughs> consultant with a small ISV and later as a senior architect with one of the largest Dynamics partner organizations in the world. Since joining Microsoft five years ago, he has served as a global black belt on the sales side of business application before joining the Power BI engineering team as a principal program manager. He now focuses on helping Microsoft Power Platform users with data they have in Dataverse into practical value insights, decision support they need for the use of Microsoft Power BI Synapse Stillage Transformation Suit. Welcome, Scott Sewell. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. It's good to be able to catch up with you finally. I've been hearing yeah. your podcast for a long time. This is fantastic. Glad, oh, thank to, you. glad to be uh, Thank you for the invitation. Yeah. How are you doing today, Scott? Doing really well. It's uh, off to a new start of a new year. This is the first. You know, yesterday was yesterday was still our holiday, so we're now, I'm now poking at different projects and trying to wake them up and saying, okay, you know, we got to get back to work here <laughs> yeah. after all the time off. Yeah, as a principal program manager, what is it that you do? Yeah, so think about the the program, the word program in there is a little bit of a misnomer because it's not a, I'm not a principal software manager, but I'm a program in, in terms of like a uh, a project or an application, not an application, but a, a, a use case. In, ca in my case, I focus on the intersection between Dynamics and Power BI. I work for the Power BI team, but because I came from that Dataverse background, like you mentioned, this is 20 years I've been working with this product. Um, I'm really focused on trying to bring the Dataverse features and functionality 
or excuse me, the Power BI features and functionalities to the Dataverse audience. There is so much value. Uh, each of us in our organizations that have been building these uh, Power Apps or Dynamics 365, CRM, we've spent so much time trying to build up this application and it's uh, trying to capture and then edit or update the data and take action on it. We've built this legacy of really important data that's in there. And one of the best ways to show off or extract the value out of that goldmine of day that you have is to use Power BI against it. Um, I've found value in this. I've seen customers do amazing things with the data, uh, but it's a little bit of a learning curve. I mean, it's not something that if you know Power BI, if you know uh, CRM, you automatically know Power BI. There's a little bit of a learning there. So that's my effort is to try to, you know, try to open the door and try to make it easier for folks coming from the Dataverse side to start taking advantage of, of Power, Power BI. Uh, and all the data platform sides, as well as to s- some degree, I've got some uh, Dataverse, uh, some Power BI people that are now starting on projects on the Dataverse side and needing to figure out how do I get value or how do I extract or what do I need to know about this. Like you guys, uh, we've been in this project process for a very long time and there's some, you know, there's some unique things about the Dataverse schema that we know and love and we just kind of know what what it is and it's uh, it's not always obvious to people who are just getting started in it. It, it might be less. It might be more like growing pains, right? We grew up with Dataverse, so we're yeah, familiar yeah. with it. Um, exactly. I feel fortunate to have come from the CRM side because it all kind of inherited that kind of schema and platform. I'd imagine this would be quite a bit harder for the rest of the platform to kind of onboard into this set, sort of terminology for things. It's a, there's a lot of, I mean, everybody, you come with it with the experience that you have and I'm just here to try to help lower the lower the threshold, make it easier for people who are um, using Dataverse. Because honestly, both of you, I, you your projects that you've done, um, they have a there is a hidden layer of value that you could be delivering to your customers by adding analytics on top of, uh, or by extending how much they can look into the data and consume it. I don't know you. I know that you both worked on different size projects and different things along the line. And funny thing is, is we when I was on the sales side, I would take in and start with a project uh, with a customer, and the person that I was selling the project to, typically a VP or a CEO or somebody on that side, the person that was going to buy the project ultimately was not was not likely to be a user of the software. They were not likely to be the ones who were mm-hmm. going to log in and create an opportunity or create a sales team. They really wanted to say, I want my organization to work more efficiently. Give me a tool that's going to help my organization work more efficiently. But they really didn't see themselves as being the person who was going to be keying in data. So what I usually was doing was saying, okay, once we, we have this great tool that will capture and process this data, now, uh, you know, sponsor, let me show you how you can get value out of all this information your team is capturing and processing. And when I did that, it helped them see the value of dynamics from their perspective because they want to see how does this help me. And so from their perspective, they started seeing, oh, okay, so I now start seeing the history. I start seeing trending information. I start seeing exceptions. All that is now summarized into the dashboards that I want to consume uh, and I have my team working in the day-to-day aspect. Yeah, it's a really easy story to tell to kind of the influencers or the upper management. Um, 
once you show them the Power BI dashboards and the type of data that you're able to extract from it, it's incredible. Now, I have to admit, I talked about this earlier before we started recording, I feel a bit of imposter syndrome talking to you about Power BI because I'm still learning it. Um, I am very much still a beginner, a newbie, maybe intermediate in some parts, but I do feel like I have to er like add a new dialect to my vocabulary and sort of understand what's different. And it's, it's a little bit hard. I think I'm probably not taking advantage of all of the wonderful tools you and everyone at Microsoft is putting out to help with that. I kind of just dive in and try to click things and, and learn them. And on occasion, I have Belinda Allen next to me, and then she tells me exactly what to do and just magic happens. But I'm a big fan. I can't wait to learn more. I'm excited to be here talking to you and hear all of the cool stuff we're going to talk about. Well, Heidi, I can't tell you how excited I am to hear that from because you are my kind of people. <laughs> you are the kind of you are my audience. Um, there are so many really talented, uh, capable folks that are working in Dynamics every day, and they're helping customers, and they under they understand what's the data that's in their dataverse environment. Uh, my goal is to, or my purpose here is to try to help you get over the hump of saying, okay, here is this data that you, I've I've captured. Let me show you. Let me. I'll I'll I want to show you the tools and resources and pieces along the way that can show you how to make take that last mile, that last step to get the data out into the hands of your sponsors. Um, mm -hmm. And so I'm glad. Um, this is fantastic. I love getting a chance to talk to you. About it. <laughs> awesome. How did you start with Dynamics, Scott? I started with Dynamics in uh, yeah 20 years ago this month. Uh, it was CRM 1.0, and we started converting people from ACT and Goldmine and a box of index cards, whatever they happen to have, Excel, whatever <laughs> they happen to have. We were trying to help set up them on this really cool uh, client server application from Microsoft called Microsoft CRM 1.0. Um, and it was a, it wasn't called Dynamics at that point, it was just CRM. And it was a brand new thing. And in that first iteration, was it in the first iteration you could add fields? Or in the second iteration, the 1.2, you could add fields. Regardless, it was like bare bones, minimum. You could do very little with it other than just pull the data in and start using it. Um, it was cool. It was it was a lot of fun to use. And you would write your reports in Crystal Reports. Um, and then gradually we got the ability to go into 1.2 and started adding new fields and new tables which got crazy in terms of the way that this product that we were using could be adapted to different customers' use case without hiring a team of programmers to come in and do that. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I, I don't come from this from a, a developer perspective. I'm not a... I'm not a sit down and crack open Visual Studio and eat some popcorn while I code the, the night away. That's <laughs> that just sounds not awful my, to me. That's not yeah, me. That's, that's just not my, my, my deal. <laughs> I mean, hats off, and I'm, I'm so happy to have teammates that love to do that. That's just not my deal. But what this Dynamics platform evolved into was the XRM side, and it became the um, you know Power Platform and Dataverse, all the different marketing names that have gotten thrown at it. Um, but it, as it evolved, it became this tool that you could, the citizen developer could step in and adapt the application to these different customers um, in a really, really powerful way. But, you know, that's the that's the side that you, know, you, three of us know and love is how flexible and how much opportunity there is for that. As a result, 
it starts collecting more and more data. And that's the that's the gold mine that I'm ta- tapping into here mm-hmm. is all this data sitting inside a data firm. But that was how I got started. <laughs> so how did it change focus from data or dynamics to, to Power BI then? Well, it was a it was a gradual process, Marcus. It was a I in the early days, like I mentioned, we were writing reports using um, Crystal reports, and then the next iteration we got SSRS reports we could write, and we st- I started writing those, and I kept finding that again the people that were using the application were also not the people who were buying the app. The people who were buying it were not using it, and the users weren't buying it. So. I was trying to find a way to appeal to both groups. I wanted to make sure I had a really solid implementation for the users. But as they were capturing data, I wanted to make sure I summarized that for the person who was going to be writing the check for the upgrade or the next iteration of the project, phase two, phase X. And so I, I kept finding that I just loved the data side of Dataverse and Dynamics. I, I'm not real excited about, like I said, I, I'm not a, I'm not going to write plugins or, um, you know, I... I like teaching to a degree, but I don't want to stand in front of a classroom. That's just not my comfort area. Uh, but the more that I found it was in that data side that I get excited about it. I nerded out on the, um, and so gradually I, you know, got into this SSRS side. And then this uh, friend said, you know, Hey, you really look at this uh, thing that's coming out inside of, um, it was inside of SharePoint at first, but that was kind of a disaster. And then they moved it in Excel <laughs> and started adding it into into this application on its own called Power BI. And I, the first iterations of it were like, uh, okay, well, that's interesting, but you have to do a whole lot of work to get the Dataverse data into that Power BI environment. And I made some terrible mistakes in my first iterations on it. I went headlong into the into a brick wall. But over time, I kept finding, oh, that's the way you do that. Oh, okay, well, that's different. Oh, that's interesting. That's different. And I figured it out. And uh, then just power over time, just became more involved in it. I moved from the sales side over to the Power BI side in the middle of pa- um, the pandemic. When we first, when the pandemic started happening originally, or when we first were hearing about this, uh, Microsoft had a team that was taking a Power, a power Platform application and configuring it for the Seattle area hospitals to help them deal with their expected overflow and surge of capacity that they need to deal with. This was like in this March uh, 2020. Things were kind of up in the air. We didn't know what went on. So they were building this thing, and it was a, like I said, it was built on on Power Apps uh, with, a, uh, with a Dynamics portion to it and then a Power App piece to it. But they had all, they're starting to capture this data. They said, we need to report on it. And there were some folks that were looking at it, and they were look, they, they brought some Power BI folks in that were experts on Power BI. And they looked at it, and they said, this Dataverse thing is a little strange to us. We don't understand it. We don't know how you deal with it. Uh, how, you, how, how are we supposed to get the data? How does the data from there work with, with what we have? Um, and a friend of mine who happened to be on that team said, I know a guy. And he called me, and uh, so I spent a long holiday weekend because uh, I couldn't go anywhere. We were all in a lockdown, so I spent a whole, you know, long weekend writing Power BI reports against this COVID day for uh, for the Seattle area hospitals, and that really kind of opened the door for me to have conversations with the people on the Power BI team. Eventually, joined. so that was a very long winded answer to a short question. <laughs> What an interesting place to get started, too. And talk about, like, the data actually telling a story that can help 
all of humanity too. Nice job. Yeah, it was a, it was fun. It was a uh, things were changing so rapidly in the the need and the the expectation of the need. That's why the power platform was so powerful for this use case is because as the situation evolved, as the requirements changed from the user, literally it was every day we had these conversations with the user and they were saying, okay, oh, we have this new requirement for the state or, oh, we now we need this other thing that's happening. And and we were able to adapt the power bla- the uh, Dataverse to accommodate that. And I was over as changes were happening there, I was fixing the Power BI reports to accommodate that. And uh, it was an interesting, and it was a real learning experience. It was good. So if I may, did you build data flows to sort of handle those changes to, okay, let's take away a little bit of Dataverse and present it in a more feasible or better way for Power BI, or was it straight data sets and reports? Yeah, in this case, it was straight data, data sets coming off of the OData connector. We had an old school OData connector at that point, and you could query Dataverse and pull back uh, 50,000 something rows easily, and you could do a little work and it cause it to iterate. Um, and if you wrote an XRM query against it, you could kind of tune it a little bit and get better performance out of it. So that was really the part that I was bringing into it at that point is I knew how to do that. Yeah. Um, thankfully, <laughs> thankfully, we've actually evolved a lot since then. And we have some easier tools to work with since then. Uh, it's gotten a lot easier. Yeah, well, that's a cliffhanger. So, <laughs> <laughs> so um, I had uh, Ulrich Carlson, or more known as the CRM chart CRM. guy, on for uh, guy. in April of uh, 2017 uh, to talk about KPIs and analytics with Power BI. But a lot has ha- has happened since. What's the most important changes recently to Power BI? Wow. Um, since April, since the 2017, there's a lot of changes that's happened. Yeah. In fact, uh, Ulrich and I co-presented in Orlando back in the fall. Such a tremendous guy. Um, but since then, a couple of things. One, the, the, the connectivity to, to, from Dataverse to Power BI, big, huge changes. Like I said, in that older style, that Ulrich and I and some others were working with at that point, it was, <laughs> I call it a weird science project. It was kind of like you had to piece a bunch of things together and hope that it worked and it would, wouldn't always scale the way you wanted it to. But over time, we've added the ability, like, I guess it was probably two, two, two years ago, we added the TDS endpoint, the tabular data stream endpoint, which is really the nerdy way of saying we've added an ability to write a SQL statement that will go against Dataverse and return data as if it, you're writing against SQL itself, which enables a couple of features that are, are pretty cool. Both, you know, being able to query Dataverse with a SQL statement is a nice, nice feature because SQL is kind of a common language for data data professionals. They were, most people know how to write that, that wouldn't know how to write an OData query or XRM uh, fetch XML query. Um, that one added, which added both the ability to write and read and write from SQL, as well as a, a option for called direct query, which allows you to, from a report, I want to query the data as it exists right now with the credentials of the current user, which means that the report can inherit your Dataverse credentials into the report 
so that if I'm only allowed to see these 30 opportunities in Dataverse because of permissions, then when I run the report, the only rep- only opportunities that are going to show up are those 30, regardless of how many is in the database. Um, so that was a pretty cool feature that was added. Um, that would be the one quick quick report. We talk about the others, but... <laughs> yeah, those are like powerful things. But when I hear that question as just like a builder of dashboards, I think like AI, right? So I can have these really simple visualizations that I could pull onto a canvas. My favorite, again... I keep talking about Belinda because she's awesome, is decomposition tree. She just talked to my Philadelphia user group about this and right. showed us how powerful that is. So that's my favorite one to play with right now in terms of AI embedded in a visualization. And my other favorite is the key influencers chart. I love that. Oh, love that tells that. such an awesome story for, for management level people. Yeah. If you, I don't know if you've seen the, the dashboards that I released through GitHub recently. If you have it, that's that's fine. Because right? this is the not. opportunity to get Sorry. to tell you. Tell us about these amazing dashboards yeah. in GitHub. <laughs> <laughs> the, so going back to the what we talked about a few minutes ago in terms of it's a little bit of a, a threshold to get over when you're trying to learn Power BI with data. Um, I wrote some documentation that was described best practices. Um, also cleared up some hints and tricks and pit, pitfalls to avoid. Um, in the Dataverse to Power BI connection. I wrote all this documentation up, but as a process in the process of writing the documentation, which is also now available on Microsoft, on Learn.Microsoft, um, I didn't give you the, I, I can give you the links if you want to include that. But yeah, absolutely. as I built that documentation up, I built up a set of, of Dynamics sales dashboard that just look at sales information from Dataverse, pulling it into a Power BI report, and showing off how you can see that that data in Dataverse, uh, Dataverse data in Power BI, using these best practices, as well as some, you know, here's some eye candy. Like I said, the decomp tree and the um, it's good eye candy. Yeah, yeah, decomp and and key influencers and even the integration between Dataverse and Power Automate. Um, oh, cool! And all embedded Power Automate in there, and then hyperlinks from Dataver- from the reports back to Dataverse. You know, really want to show off all this, all this goodness, and so I've stuck it. I've placed those up on GitHub so people can actually download um, the reports by themselves, or they can download a solution, which is another new thing that we've added. The ability you can actually pull in a, a managed solution, install it into your environment. It installs a, a reports. It installs the a a form on your account rec that's tied to the report. It does not modify any other tables, entities, apps, anything else. It's kind of the standalone thing that if you, and as soon as you test it out, you try it, you like it, you can actually click uninstall and it goes away without a trace and you can reinstall the pieces that you like uh, using an unmanaged solution. Hmm, so I need a, to give you a clap for that. That's yeah, amazing. So it's, a, it's kind of a combination <laughs> of that. And in that, I have a decomp tree. I've got a... a uh, the um, uh, key influencer, which I love, uh, and a bunch of other dashboards, as well as just shows you the idea of how do you translate Dataverse structured data into the star schema that Power BI really wants to be able to consume from. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a it's a different model. I mean, you know, I, I've said it before, but if I look at Dataverse, you know, we all know Dataverse, know and love. We know where the 
we I laughingly say we know where the bodies are buried. We know where all the <laughs> hidden parts are, yeah. right? Um, and if I look in that, I see tables, columns, relationships. And if I look over in Power BI, I see a place for tables, columns, and relationships. My first mistake, and the one I would encourage you not to repeat, <laughs> is to try to lift and shift that tables, columns, relationship from Dataverse and just shove it straight into Dataverse as is. When mm-hmm. you do that, you create problems for you. You create a difficult platform to use. Um, these these data models that I, these sample reports that are created show you what the what how to translate that how do you turn it into what we call in Power BI a star schema meaning that there's a fact table right in the middle that's what is you want to count and add and sum or average or whatever those things are that's right in the middle and then surrounding it are the kind of the dimensions that you want to slice it by a customer by owner by date by product those kind of things are are listed off as dimensions. And then you build all this up and you can grab the crazy, uh, the fun amounts of analytics data off of that. But so just an example to try to say, here's a way to do this without trying to lift and shift your whole platform and shove it into, you know, put a round peg into a square hole. Mm -hmm. That's been fun. Yeah, so I'm really interested in that Power BI through solutions because to me, solutions is very much tied to environments. And environments, it's very much a dataverse thing, but Power BI is not really straight up connected to an environment. So how does that really work? Yeah, so think about it from really more from an ad, um, a lifecycle life management process. Yeah. So if I'm in my dev environment, I've got dataverse and I've got my Power BI reports that are built to talk to that dev environment. Um and I've got them all happy, and I'm ready to take it up to UAT. But I know within that environment, I've got connections, I've got different reports, I've got linkages on the the uh, entities, I've got different like the dashboards want to point to those. So I've got a bunch of things pointing to each other in it. If I before the solution feature was available, as soon as I moved it up to Dev, I would publish the reports, and then I would go ahead, go back into the environment and make a bunch of changes and say, okay, now. I know in dev, this had a pointer to this this report, but now I've got to move it over here and point it to this one. And I know this report pointed to this dev database, so I need to move over and point it to the UAT environment. And i got to do the same thing when I get to uh, production. Like URL segments or something like that? URLs, I've yeah. got that. I've got as well as just embedding it into a form on a dash, onto a, uh, an entity. For instance, in this, in mm-hmm. this uh, demo template I have, I've got on the account record, I've got an embedded Power BI report that says, show me the data about the sales that this particular customer has completed. So when I go to the you know, Acme Corp record, it shows me all the Acme Corp tra- transactions summarized in a dashboard. Uh, when I'd move that to a new environment, if I, bef- without the solution feature, I would need to open up and re-edit that form and make the changes to say, no, it's, no it, it's because otherwise it would still be pointing back to dev. I would have to go in and edit it and point it to UAT. But with the solutions, that sort of encapsulates all that. And it knows that, okay, all this is going to be moving up from one environment to another. Take time to re- make all the connections again. It also has things like uh, parameters so that, like these these templates, I pass it off to you and... Uh, my my default is I have uh, 12 months worth of history being pulled into this uh, table. You may want to have 24 months worth of history, or you may only want six months of history. 
you can I've have a parameter in there say how many months of history do you want and the report will only pull that much data in so it gives you some flexibility without you having to go in and modify all the queries and it just as you open the report and say import this thing it just asks you hey which how, what what do you want this value to pull in this is so really fun. great this is and sorry my world is more in like power automate but this is just like the power automate templates and how someone who's new to it can just push a button and start building this is really cool. So silly question. You have this as dynamics for sales. Are you working on dynamics for service next? Mm. You make us some cool dashboards about cases showing SLA timers and all kinds of cool things like that. I have a version of that that's that I that's sort of working. What I have to do yeah. is I've got to fill in uh I've got to update my uh integration jobs so that I can flesh out a bunch more a bunch more cases because my case database is like 13 cases and I need to have a lot more in there because, you know, if you only have 30, you know, if you have 50 opportunities, you don't need a dashboard. Mm -hmm. If you only have you, your dashboards really only start lighting up when you have hundreds or thousands of records. Uh, so I've got to get some better sample data before my, before I can give a dashboard that actually uh, makes sense. Now, there's some things good. you learn when you start scaling up my sample data for sales I've got about 400,000 opportunities in it, about 1.2 million oper uh, activities. Um, and so I learned things as I got to those scales that I didn't know when I was using a, you know, just a out-of-the-box Contoso sample. Yeah, because everything r runs fine if you just select all the columns, <laughs> all the rows, if exactly. it's just 100 rows, right? Yeah, it works fine. So... Is that like a lot of the work for Power BI? Just like, okay, I want this 10 column, but figuring out what the 10 columns actually is. Yeah, that's a, that's a challenge. You know, everybody wants the, uh, what are the, those spaghetti at the fridge. I don't know if you, if that translates to Swedish, but the idea that you, uh, you just, you have all this stuff and you're just going to throw it against the wall and see what sticks. Okay. Yeah. And that's fine. And the stuff that falls, it's fine. But you don't really want to pick it out. You just want to throw it against the wall and see what what remains. That's kind of the way that my first dashboards I built. I said, "Oh, we'll just pull all the data in, and then we'll yeah. we'll ignore we'll ignore the stuff that's not relevant." This is how all of my dashboards are built. Um. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the problem is in those dashboards. Then the every time you refresh it, it's pulling all of that data in, even though you're ignoring most. And suddenly that refresh cycle especially when you get into the hundreds of thousands of records that is no longer a trivial cycle a trivial effort um and so i've spent a lot of time on my reports to say i like the the, the sample reports that i built they only use out of the box columns and tables so there's nothing special about i just try to use what is the common thing and i know there's a lot of fields in there that people don't use nobody i, mean, I know somebody uses it somewhere but i don't use them but like overwritten, modified by Yomi name or something. There's some kind of, there's all these things in there that are necessary for some edge cases, but the bulk of people aren't using, right? Um, yeah. So as we, as I did this, I, you know, you spend a lot of time going, okay, let me start with something simple. Let me start with the core, be very restrictive on what that first layer is. And then you can add to it incrementally and expand it. But don't try to start with a big thing and simplify it later. It doesn't. It just doesn't work. Um, like, like with any, you know, implementation you have. If you 
The other thing is, like for instance, on a CRM form, one of my go-to standards has always been less is more. The less data I can put on the form, the less I can throw in front of a user to say, fill this form out, and they see a bunch of fields that aren't relevant to them, they'll start ignoring all the fields. Um, if I can give them a very clean, simple thing that they can fill in, they'll go, okay, I'm going to tackle that. It goes back to a, a project, a CRM project they did years ago uh, in New York City, and one of the pieces was they wanted to capture lead data on, on, on a form. And the complaint was the salespeople had been filling out a an index card, piece of pa- uh, paper that would had four, I'll say 45 fields on it. It was like 45 fields on it. It was your name, address, birthday, where you worked, what kind of, you know, what were your interests? Uh, what was your work phone? What was your home phone? What was your work email? What was your, you know, all this stuff, just field after field after field. And the salespeople would typically look at it and go, just put your name down, put your phone number. That's enough. Yeah. And they just wouldn't f- bother with all the, all the detail, which, meant that the marketing team would get less information in, even though they asked for a lot of information. The person I worked for was brilliant. I, I Hats off to Jeff. He was amazing. I learned from him. He changed the mar- he changed the process so that there was only they were only asking for about, I think it was like eight fields. He said, only ask for these eight items. And the marketing team was like, no, 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 no. We have to have all of these things. And we're like, no, you're, we're only going to ask for these eight things. And so once he started asking for eight items on the form, the completion rate on average, they got about six items on average filled out. Whereas when they asked for 40 things, they got an average of three things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was a it was a brilliant insight that I, I've used since then. I, I learned from that and I was like, this is amazing. I love this. Because if you throw too much at somebody, they'll either... Especially for first off, yeah, exactly. I, I, no way, forget it. I'm not. This is too much. This is a much asshole. I don't hands up in the hair in the air and just yeah. Well, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. But if you start with something fundamental and then build up from that, they'll they'll absorb it and they can then take advantage of. It. Um, my first dashboards were I threw everything at it. I was like, oh, look at all these cool things I can do. Let me just uh, add this field and whisk widget and decomp and everything. And I just created all this thing. It was just a hot mess. Uh, and it was just not usable, even though it had all these cool things on it until I like stripped it down to something simple, made a couple of extra pages that I could drill through to, made it a lot more more consumable. Um, yeah, the whole process is a, is it's an interesting psychology process. You, you learn a lot about how people learn, how people uh, approach problems. I've enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen the same. Oh, yeah. I talk about user adoption and simplification. And, yeah, you're talking my jam here. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. And I'm thinking about also showing a dashboard to, like, executive and the numbers are slightly off, and you can do that once, and then they will never ever trust that dashboard again, no matter how much effort you put into it, because they're like, oh, well, it was wrong once, how do we know it's correct now? Like, well, yeah. It's a, that actually was another, a different project I was on. They came to us and they, it was, this was a, a, a large, a very, very large um, stock on the, Fortune 500 stock exchange, very, very large. And they brought, we were implementing Dynamics, and they brought this forecasting. And this is pre-Power BI. This this is bonus app. This is bonus information. Um, 
they brought this forecasting model and it was like, and it, you know, we reach out and we get the uh, LIBOR rates from the London in- interest and we get forecasting information from this area and we bring in data from this, this analyst and here's all the tables and we bring it together, we merge it and we create these forecasts for demand. Very scientific. It's all amazing. Can you build this into Dynamics? I was like, okay, that's a challenge, but yeah, let's let's try. And so as I started looking at it, I was like, okay, well, actually the formulas are pretty easy. So let me bring it all into the data. And I created a sample report and I said, and I put all across big letters, test data, sample, you know, not, mm-hmm. you know, not finalized, right? Just to make yeah. sure that nobody misunderstood that this was. So I pulled up the report and I compared it to the data, the, the result data that they gave me from the other system. And it was wildly wrong. It was so wrong. I was like, what in the world? How come is my, how is my data so off? I followed this process that they gave me very carefully. Let me go back and rebuild my stuff and let me check it again. I'll check it again. I'm sure I'm, I've, you know, I've missed a, a you know, a value, a, a percent sign somewhere, you know, something. Went back and rebuilt it. Still, I came back with the exact same numbers a second time. No, oh, that can't be right. So then I started looking at what they actually did. On their side, they had this amazing scientific product process that created their forecast, and then it would create an Excel file, and they would email it to their managers, and their managers would just go into Excel and make it change to the numbers to what they want them to, be. <laughs> and then they would send it back, and that would be the end of the process. And I was like, oh, okay, I can, I'm never going to be able to second guess what the what the managers are changing it. Uh, so it had this. It had a uh, a veneer of scientific methodology that just got yeah. undermined by uh, different managers applying whatever they wanted to to the uh, to the result before it was finalized. <laughs> yeah. Human yeah. error, uh, I suppose. Yeah, it yeah, was, that's uh, interesting. interesting the process. Yeah, yeah. You're now going to show the trend going upwards to the upper right corner. Okay, let's let's show a trend line going upward to the right corner, right? Yeah, I That's think good. they were all optimizing <laughs> yeah. it to make sure they met hit got their bonuses. Yeah. Yeah. Which makes sense, you know. If I if they were if they were sending it to me, I would probably would have done the same, but you know, it was a it was an interesting process. Yeah. Uh, we haven't discussed the the pretty recent news to Power BI, the the quick report that you now have in the Power Apps views. What do you think yeah, about these those? Were, these came out recently. It's it's pretty yeah. cool. Um and it's it is it is deployed worldwide now. If it's not in your environment, you can go into the app. It's in the app setting for your app. You flip it. You can turn it on. It's on by default for new environments. But if you get an existing app, you can flip the switch and say and light this up. What it does is in a view inside of Dynamics, it puts a button that says Visualize this view and has a little Power BI icon. And so if I pull up a view and I say all the opportunities that are assigned to Marcus that are open and include this product, whatever that view is. And if that's my view and I hit the visualize this view, it will use AI to generate a a dashboard, a report right there on demand. And it creates it and it uses the view that you're looking at as the data source and creates this quick report, really what it's called, it's quick report. That report, you can make some changes to it. You can tweak it and make some adjustments and say, you know, I'm not interested in counting this, but I'm interested in counting this, or I want to show this as a pie chart, or I want to show this as a graph. You can make some changes right there in the moment. You can also save it out to Power BI and hold on to it from Power BI. Um, but it's a nice way to get a fast 
look at data, it's it's good for it's really good for sort of limited sets of data. You don't want to point it to all opportunities across all time and space. Right? It's just going to not not perform in that size data set. You want to pull it against open opportunities or opportunities this year, or Marcus's opportunity, something like yeah. that. You want to have some sort of a boundary on it. Um, and it will it will do a nice job. It's really good to create that and use that as a as your first cut to say you know to show to your sponsor and say here's an idea. What do you think about this? You know it's always easier for a sponsor to look at something. And go if you ask them to say what do you want on the dashboard, they're gonna I, I don't know I'm guessing they don't or know everything. Yeah, or everything. <laughs> Tell me, or show me everything. Everything I have I I think of and everything I haven't thought of yet. Yeah. Um, so they'll do that. But this will give you a starter point to say, here's an idea. Here's a here's a sample dashboard. You can use this. You run it all day long. Every time you run it, it's going to rerun the queries and pull the data as it exists at that moment. Or you can take it and extract it, pull it down to Power BI desktop and make modifications to it and upgrade it or just you know sort of hold it off to the side and say, okay, these are some ideas. Let's build a really high-performance dashboard with those ideas. Yeah. But it's a cool thing. It's a very cool thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I like those together with the samples. It's sort of, okay, so here's a way for you to get started. It's easy to get going. It's easy to see results, those first kind of baby steps. So everyone gets going. So I like that a lot. Uh, um, it's been fun. But if yeah. we take a step towards the more advanced parts so data export is now gone and that's replaced with azure synapse link so i was perhaps not talking about that but alluding a little bit to that when i mentioned data flows it's not really the same thing right but it sort of attacks the problem in the same kind of sense from my point of view do you see it this as a staging environment for data or how do you see this Kind so, of things. Yeah, it's a great question, Marcus. The Synapse Link, you say, you're right. It was a, it's a replacement for the data export. If you aren't familiar with that, don't worry about it. It was a SQL way, it was a way of getting data out from Dynamics into an Azure SQL data. This brings the data out of Dataverse and puts it in a data lake. If you're not familiar with data lakes, that's just a cheap and uh, easy way to store huge, huge, huge volumes of data. Like I said, inexpensively. It's designed for dropping bucket loads of data into this data lake and filling it up. It's, it's, it's an Azure. The, pro, the challenge with that is once you put it in the end of the data lake, there are some tool, cool tools that you can use to query that data, but they're a little bit more advanced. They're not as easy to use as, like I said, writing a SQL. That's where Synapse, Azure Synapse Link sits in front of it and says, "Let me. I'll take care of pulling that data out of the lake and letting you write a query against it, like select star from opportunity, I'll pull all that data out and present it to you as if it was sitting in a, inside of a real SQL server. Uh, but we're letting it sit there in a cheap, cheap storage room. And just you just pay for it only however often you need to. And it's like $5 per terabyte. Really inexpensive. Um, but this Synapse link sets up a continuous pipeline of as changes happen inside a data verb, as a new record gets created, a new record gets a new row gets added to the table out in this in the lake. As a change happens in in the dataverse, you have a choice of do you want to update the existing row in the lake or do you want to create a new row in the lake that says, 
Here's the current data, but here's the his, but you can see the history of all the changes that have taken place in the lake. So that's an option. We call that append or append only um, or overwrite. So we we have that available. But again, it is I've used it. If you if you want to write direct query against Dataverse, you have it will start in the a, a direct query or excuse me if I use the the TDS endpoint. I can get up to 150, 200,000 rows without any problem if I keep it kind of narrow and keep the columns kind of limited. Uh, that's that's pretty easy to do. But you're starting to hit some edges. You're starting to hit some performance. I've got customers that have millions in their table. It is not appropriate to try to pull all that through the TDS endpoint. Just not. It's just not possible. When you have millions of rows, especially when you get into opportun- uh, activities, you know you can barely do yeah. anything, and you'll have millions of rows in activities. Um, that is where Putting it in the lake, in the in the lake with Azure Synapse Link becomes a real good way of putting that data out, so you can pull it out at massive scale for really for cheap. Um, if you in the data export service, it required you to keep a data a SQL Server running in Azure all the time, which could be expensive depending on what you what size you had. It can get expensive. This nothing is happening. It's just sort of sitting idle. And you're not paying for anything until you query it and say, give me the data out of this lake. You're paying a little bit for storage, but that's really minor. Uh, it's only when you query it for a Synapse link and say, uh, give me this data. And, and like I said, it's $5 per terabyte. Now. That's the list price. Different, wow. different customers. Yeah, so it's really the Azure Synapse, the query part that is more that's more expensive in that scenario. Yeah. There's other parts. Yeah. Azure, uh, excuse me, Azure Synapse is... A lot. There's a lot of things going on inside of Azure Synapse. It's a big product with a lot of capabilities, and and there are ways in which you can use that that have really high value, but also come with a cost. Yeah. This use case only uses the serverless SQL side of it, which is a very narrow use case and a very inexpensive part of Azure okay. Synapse. So it's it's using just a fraction of the capabilities, but in the in that fraction of capabilities, it's um. It really serves its purpose really nicely. Yeah, yeah, really good. So we've talked a lot about the Dataverse here, but not all of Dynamics really have data in Dataverse. Some of it is finance and operations, and we can get data from that sort of realm into Dataverse, either by dual write or virtual tables. Right. Do When we talk about Power BI and Dataverse, does it work with virtual tables as well as dual writes? So, yeah, there are, in this case, the virtual tables are not, they don't write out to the, to the, uh, to the data lake, right? You would have to feed that information separately from that other source, whatever that other source is, into the lake. And then that, that data could be consumed and combined with Dataverse data in the lake, and be perfectly perfectly good. And so in some cases that data already exists in the lake. It's just a matter of pulling it together there. And that's really the way we look at the FNO and be it uh, business object excuse me, the uh, BC data is yeah. we want to see that data either dual writeed dual written, whatever there's into yeah. <laughs> Dataverse, and which you can just pull it through the same path. Or if it's available in the lake, we can use that. Um, other cases like I don't know how how much experience you have with the FNO tables, but it is a it is huge. What eight? I'm gonna I'll I'll be wrong in this, but it's like eight thousand tables. It's like everything is a table. It's cra- it's enormous. And if 
so there are people who know that backwards and forwards and that, I, you know, God love them. They're, they're, I'm glad that they do. I don't know structure, but they have processes that will summarize that data, standardize it into a way that they can present it to an API or a Power BI and we can consume it from that. So there's a lot of a lot of choices. I do focus my my time and attention on the dataverse side, uh, mostly because that's such a so much need and so much opportunity. Yeah, yeah, good. Uh, it's just uh, that it's things that you might think about. So if you don't really have the data resonating in dataverse, mm-hmm. then perhaps getting it from the source rather than jumping through hoops to get it to dataverse and then out from there could be better. Right. And, and I was talking to a, a colleague of mine this morning, and the the data for Microsoft healthcare healthcare data that we have, um, Dataverse for healthcare. There's a lot of data that never actually lands inside a Dataverse, part of the bigger picture of the product area. Um, but what they're doing is they're combining this data whenever they need it. You know, whenever they need it, yeah. they'll pull it together inside of Power BI for the reports. Uh, but they don't have to. They don't want to make Dataverse be a a um, a funnel that everything has to go through that one funnel before it can be a part of the report. Yeah, and there's a lot of connectors for Power BI as well. Amazing so it's amount. not just Dataverse. Even though in this call we're, <laughs> as we said, we're dynamic CRM geeks here, so that's <laughs> we like we, to to <laughs> to focus in on that. So yeah. Um, all right, then. Um, we've uh, not talked super much about this new documentation on Power BI and Dataverse. So let's discuss this a little bit more. So you've it, made some recent changes there, right? Yeah, it, it was a... And this really comes out of... This is, comes from a, a Dataverse person's perspective. Me as a Dataverse, a long-time Dataverse user. As I was learning the process of turning that into an effective Power BI report... I kept finding things, oh, oh, so that's how you do it. That's what you need to do for a Dataverse situation. Uh, yeah. Or that's how Dataverse data shows up in this scenario. Or those are my choices. And the reality is, if you go to, if you went to the Microsoft site and, and you know, Googled or Bing or whatever, how do I connect using Azure Synapse Link? It would tell you, here's the process of how to connect with Azure Synapse Link. You may have to read a couple of pages or whatever, but it yeah. will tell you how to do that. What it does not tell you, what that page did not tell you was, this is a great way to do this for 100,000 records, but if you need 30 records, this is overkill for you. Yeah. It's too much. Mm. There's another approach over here that's great for that, that preserves security and makes it available at runtime. Um, but if you went to that page and queried it and followed it, it would give you the same instruction, how to, how to set that up. But it would never tell you, by the way, if you're trying to pull in a half million records... This thing's going to collapse. It's no good for that. So what I did is I I went through the process of saying, okay, let me think about what are the factors I need to think about when I choose an approach. And how do I bring that out so a Dataverse person can bring the knowledge that they have and look at this and say, okay, here are some questions I need to ask you as a Dataverse expert. What you know, What is your security situation? What's the volume of data? How often is this refreshed? Um, what type of reports do you need? Um I can ask you those questions or I can propose those questions using the, this document and let you answer that and sort of guide you to the right approach for that report. So that was the first part of this. And then you get further into the document. And then, so I was writing this as a just a PDF. I started as a Word document. And I thought, okay, 
I've got a few things I've learned. It's like two pages worth. That's fine. And I'll be enough. And I'll write this out. And 34 pages later, I was like, <laughs> holy moly, there's a lot going on here. And so yeah. I kept building this out and kept expanding it and saying, oh, here's another situation. Let me show you how to deal with that. Eventually, we took that and sort of condensed it into a single page in the Microsoft Learn document that really summarizes the key learnings that I, I ran into. I mean, it doesn't call my name out directly. Everything yeah. you see in that is a result of a mistake I've made. <laughs> um, <laughs> a, sounds a like an invaluable page. Yeah. And so you, if you go to it and you follow through and it kind of helps guide you to the ideas. It tells you about how to deal with options and how to deal with relationships between tables, how to deal with the, the time zone, other pieces along that line as to how to deal with that. And then, you know, it's it should be a very valuable influence. And all through it, all through that document, it points to other documents. For more information about this topic, go over here and you'll get a deeper dive of that. But I wanted a kind of a high-level guidance that said, here are the high-level topics, and then you pick out which topics you need for your use. And then drill into it and go go off and have fun with that uh, from all the official docs. Yeah, like, okay, we have five different currencies. Yeah, well, yeah, thanks. <laughs> we have different languages. Yeah, well, we have different formats. We have yeah, things that you might encounter in Dataverse. Time zones. Yeah. There's lots going on inside of Dataverse yeah. data that you have to be thoughtful as when you bring it in. But yeah, so I went ahead and built that, and that's out on the, the Microsoft site now. Uh, if you look for Power Platform Guidance for Dataverse, I think. Uh, Power BI Modeling Guidance for Power Platform. Uh, All right, so let's be sure to add it so every listener can find it easily. So it yeah, will be in the, be show, the show notes. notes. Yeah, we will have links there. So yeah, so that brings us to where do I go if I want to know more? So that's <laughs> one. <laughs> yeah yeah so i would go to if you want to learn more there are tremendous resources out there for just power bi in general how to how do you build power bi reports how do you model the data how do you write dax statements how do you visualize it how do you consume it lots of information about that uh way more than i would dare try to summarize once you're at the point where you're looking for okay i want to understand how this is going to intersect with intersect with, with dataverse or dynamics app i would point you to my document my documentation that's on the, the power bi modeling um it's on the power bi documentation site use that it will give you jumping like i said it will give you jumping off points to the other documents that are relevant also jump into my dashboard that i built the sales dashboard download it look at it play with it break it you know Pick it apart. Find things you want to change about it. It's a. It should be a, a tool that you can learn from. Um, it's never going to be the out of the box. Going to be the the thing that you always hoped and dreamed it would possibly be for your environment. It's not that, but it is no. something you can pick from and learn from. And it's going to have pointers to tables that are kind of core. Um, but you're going to want to add additional fields that are custom for you and expand it from that point. Take a look at that. It's got some cool features in it. Um, have fun. And it's also a good way to just show it off and say, get to get some funding for you to be able to build this stuff and say, Hey, here's an idea. And let me show you what all this, this does. I'd like to build a version of this for us, uh, for our team. It's a good way yeah. to do that. And a great way for you to look awesome in front of the boss too, right? Look Absolutely. at this dashboard. I did this in like just five hours of time. The yeah, other day. You better be careful about that. Cause <laughs> suddenly they're going to go, Oh, it only takes five hours. I'll, I'll, I'll oh, have gosh, the new right? version after lunch. Right. <laughs> yeah. You want to um, say, I've been working on this for weeks and weeks and weeks. 
late at night on weekends, never seen, you know. <laughs> yeah, Scott, I can't wait to play with that dashboard. I am absolutely <laughs> going to put it into a demo system and play around. And I'm going to follow your GitHub and check out the sales one or the service one that you're going to build next. And who knows, Eventually, maybe marketing yeah. one day. <laughs> <laughs> I need to get funding. I need to get funding to do those. But yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, but the, the whole idea was really just to say, let me help you get past all the mistakes that I made when I built my start yeah. from where I am and then show me cool stuff that you build often. Uh, and it's nice to have a sales template that's sort of, well, this is the data that's in the sort of default dataverse. Well, we've extended it with this and that. Well, then you obviously have to change it because no one sales implementation is the other alike. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. true. And this is an incredible yeah. community contribution. So thank you yeah. on behalf of everybody in the Power BI, Dataverse, Power Apps, everywhere. We appreciate it. I wish you. I could count this towards a. I, I would have counted this towards my MVP contribution in the in the old days, but Aww. now it's a, it's a it's out there for everybody to take advantage. Well, if you get a batch with the with the blue, then you're like, well, <laughs> you're a Microsoft employee, then you have to leave, right? I so, spent yeah. enough time in the field that I still feel that pain, and I, and and you guys are my audience. You are you're the people I have in mind when I'm building this. I want to say. How, do, how yeah. would Heidi or how would Marcus look at this and what do they need to get them up to speed so that they can take advantage of this cool tool to show off the value of the data that's sitting inside their data mm. Yeah, Thank you so much. If it's you want to see more of you, Scott, do you have any public speaking? Oh, sorry, did you have? Not a, you know, I, had some, I did some speaking in the fall. I had a lot more conferences in the fall. I did the Power Platform, did one at the Nordic Summit there in Stockholm, and then did um, a couple more that have been fun. But I don't really have anything in the spring. I think it's kind of being quiet right now. So we'll see. Yep. Hopefully in the fall I'll be back on the road a little bit. Not too much, hopefully, but uh, a little <laughs> bit. But uh, in the meantime, you can always catch up with me on LinkedIn. Uh, just search for me at scott.sewell at microsoft.com. You'll find me. Um uh, same with YouTube, and I'm not really a YouTuber, but I do have a few videos out there that sort of try to explain some of these concepts a little bit more. So I'm not really big on that, but I do have a few things that I put out, and I've got some new ones coming out in this in uh, this month, basically specifically on uh, Synapse work, Azure Synapse link, and then doing a little bit on um, Mastodon, not kind of moving away from the bird site and moving over to Mastodon. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure if I want to go into that, but yeah, yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I hear what you're trying to, yeah, yeah. to say here. Try it out. All right, then. So thank you for your participation in CRM Rock, Scott Sewells. Hey, it's been a pleasure. And thank you. Thank you for what Marcus, Heidi, thank you for what you do for the community, because it's so valuable to hear for others in the community, to hear what you're doing, what you're learning, what you're excited about. Thank you for doing that, and uh, my hat's off to you. Congratulations on, on success. Almost 10 years of this. This is fantastic. Yeah, way to go, Marcus. Yeah. And uh, so, happy belated birthday, Marcus. Yeah, happy birthday. <laughs> he just had a birthday a few <laughs> days ago. Oh, fantastic. 
Yeah, well, that was before New Year's, so now I can see, well, this year I'm turning 40. So, yes, <laughs> finally. <laughs> well, it's almost a year still, but yes, I can still, uh, now I can see it, say it for real. That's so that's how people can get hold of our guests, Heidi. How can P, how can our listeners get hold of us? You can get a hold of Marcus and I on pretty much all of the social medias. We have a Facebook page. There's uh, LinkedIn. We're on the Twitter. If you follow hashtag CRM Brocks, so you can follow us individually on Twitter. Did I miss anything, Marcus? We have YouTube, but I've been really slacking on that. Sorry. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's that's okay so um thank you again and um, see you next time on cm rocks